0: This is Hans Finzel. Welcome to the Leadership Answer Man. This is a show for leaders about taking leadership to the next level. Whether you're a seasoned leader or just starting out, I promise to give you practical leadership tips that you can use this week. No matter what your leadership situation is, I can help. Remember, leaders make things happen. My passion is to help you lead more effectively. Welcome to episode 22. Even leaders have to relocate at times. Today, I'm excited to have a guest on my show, Dan Miller, who is famous for his book, 48 Days to the Work You Love, Preparing for the New Normal. Uh, You can check out Dan's site at 48days.com. And Dan has made a career of helping as a life coach people moving from a day job to a dream job. And sometimes that even applies to people in leadership. You'd think people in leadership could pretty well configure things the way they want them and be happy and fulfilled, but sometimes great leaders are in the wrong situation. So let's listen into the great interview today with Dan Miller. Thanks so much, Dan, for being on the show. Hey, I'm so glad to have on my show today Dan Miller via telephone, and you are in Nashville. Welcome, Dan.
1: Well, thank you. I'm honored to be your guest today, Hans
0: uh you are the president of 48 days and i want to i'm not going to read your long bio here because it would take the whole show oh no, please don't <laughs> but uh here's a question for you um so you are the president of 48 Days. A lot of people know your books, 48 Days to the Work You Love. We're going to talk today about leaders, especially who are maybe in a trap and they need to have a change, and also your book, No More Mondays. What is the name of your podcast? I know you have the number one ranked podcast under Careers and iTunes. I assume it's named 48 Days.
1: Yeah, that's correct. It's the 48 Days podcast.
0: Great. And I'll put some uh, web links on my show notes to your podcast, and your website, but really appreciate you being on the show. Let me ask you this question. Uh, What are you most proud of on a professional level right now that's going on where you feel, you know, you're an influencer and uh, what right now are you most excited about that you're seeing happen as a result of your efforts?
1: When you say on a professional level, yeah, it's pretty easy to point to 48days.net. Now that's a social networking site. I kind of cringed at calling it that originally because I don't want it to be where people just share what they had for breakfast this morning. But it's an umbrella organization that we created where people just share ideas. And we really see the old adage being born out there, a rising tide raises all ships. We see people so willingly sharing ideas and advice and supporting each other where they're helping everybody be, more successful. So yeah, 48days.net, we've got about 14,000 people in there. We screen that pretty carefully to let people in to know they're serious and have as much potential to give as to take.
0: How many did you say you have in there?
1: About 14,000. Wow.
0: That's crazy. That's a lot. Uh I hope I can introduce you to some new uh, listeners through my podcast. Can you just give us a quick summary of how you came up with 48 Days? I was listening to your podcast the other day, and you told that story. But for people who don't know, what's the deal with 48 Days? <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: everything that I do grew out of teaching a Sunday school class years ago. And it was just called Career life transitions and then we called it career life transitions 101 to make it sound a little more like an academic course and then i was always i'm always playing with content and titles and how we position and market things so we called it find the job you want in 30 days well then we found out that a lot of people were saying i'm not sure i want another job you know show me some other options where i could be more in the driver's seat so that was a very critical change too work rather than job and then 30 days that's eh, just a generic time frame you know week a month a year we don't we hear it so often we don't pay much attention to it But this is back when 48 hours was becoming popular as a tv show and i thought i'll bet i could get some branding recognition if we use the 48 now not hours but days and you know Hans, it was like somebody threw gasoline on my business. There was that kind of an explosive impact because people immediately started saying, you mean I really can change my life in 48 days? And my response has always been, yes, you can if you create a plan and act on it. So it really wasn't something scientific. I'd like to claim some, (laughs) you know research statistic. It wasn't that at all. It was very spontaneous, but it has worked like magic. And I really do believe that 48 days is enough time to assess, you know, where am I? Get the advice and opinion of other people. Identify perhaps four or five options. Do a little bit more research. Choose the best one and act. And that can be a decision about a new job, about starting a business, about where to send your son or daughter to college, what car to buy, what church to go to. I think we can put all those things through a filter and keep from falling into the destructive effects of procrastination.
0: Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, I see you are uh, been married to Joanne for 42 years. Congratulations.
1: You must be looking at old information because we've, we've actually hit 46.
0: Oh, well, your assistant <laughs> sent me this bio, so I guess you better uh, uh, update it. Boy, so how many grandchildren do you have now? This one said nine.
1: We have 12.
0: All right. Well, you better get on it.
1: (laughs) Uh, And and it looks like that will need to be updated again before too long, so it's still happening. Now, now, knowing what you know at this point and knowing that I already hit 46, what year anniversary do you think Joanne and I are going to have a big blowout celebration?
0: Well, I would think 50.
1: Now, come on. I already set you up here. Yeah. 48.
0: Oh, of course. Duh. (laughs) Oh, jeez. Everybody <laughs> celebrates 50. 50, everybody
1: celebrates. Now, we're going to make it 48 and have a big party.
0: Wow. I've only been married <laughs> 38 years. I feel like I'm a slacker. Uh, <laughs> and wow. I only have five grandchildren. Hey, you, well, you did put something in your bio that I wanted to read. It says, Dan says, many of us are not yet doing what God put us here to do. I love that. Would you unpack that a little bit for us?
1: Wow. So many people just get kind of trapped by circumstances or generational expectations, family traditions, and all of a sudden, you know, they're midlife and saying, how did I get here? This has nothing to do with who I am, what I know about myself, and certainly nothing to do with my calling or purpose. I'm just, even people who feel like they're being responsible providers. And I run into that a lot. They're doing good things. But you know, when we look at people who know they're approaching death and ask them, what's the biggest regret that you have? Without anything coming close as a second, the number one regret is, I wish I had had the courage to live a life authentic to myself rather than living out the expectations of others. Now, this is not about being selfish or egotistical or ignoring God's will at all. It's about looking at the very best that we have to offer and releasing that rather than trying to be something that we're not.
0: I love it. That's awesome. Hey, let's talk about leaders. This is a show for leadership and helping leaders take it to the next level. And, you know, I, I was a, I've was been a leader for many years, and, and sometimes people glamorize leadership to think, oh, what could be better? You've got all that power. You know, nobody can make your life miserable. But, in fact, we know many leaders are stuck. You deal with leaders who are unhappy. What advice do you give to them?
1: If they're consistently unhappy, then it merits looking at how are you off track. You know, I often talk to the leaders who are just tired, you know, they're discouraged and they're just low on energy and sometimes think, wow, you know, I'm an ineffective leader or maybe I'm even just lazy. That's not what I look for. I look for where is it in your life that you're off track with what God called you to do? Because if you're unhappy, you're off track. That's a real red flag. Again, this, at the risk of thinking that we just do what makes us happy, you know, we use that term kind of lightly. But, I mean, there are some indicators there that you're somehow not in line with God's best for you if you really don't feel a sense of, you know, fulfillment and peace about it. I had somebody uh, challenge me on that just today, actually, that said Paul talked about, you know, I'm compelled to do this. I, I have to go preach I can't not do this and in saying that, you know, aren't there times when we're just compelled to do something? But if we go on in that, Paul talks about the joy that he received from doing that. He can't imagine doing anything other than that. That feeling compelled was also joined by a great sense of satisfaction in doing what he knew he was called to do. So we can't just take that one part of that verse. Well, aren't there times we just have to do, we just have to bite the bullet. I mean, sure, there are transition times in our lives, but on an ongoing basis, that's a poor way to live a life.
0: So if a leader is stuck and maybe they're listening, they're unhappy, they're miserable, I I know I've been there. And one question I really struggled with is, you know, do I fix my problem here, change who I am or change the circumstances, or is it time to go? So, and and in fact, a lot of your material is on time to go. (laughs) How do you know when it's time to move on? People ask me that. I'd like to hear your spin on that.
1: Well, if it's, Just a random frustration or discouragement, certainly we're gonna have that. I mean, not every day is peaches and cream, but if there's a recurring pattern that we're seeing that is one of discouragement, And being tired and feeling frustrated. You know, sometimes I talk about the eagles. I've always been fascinated with the symbolism of the eagles. And mom and dad eagle create this amazing nest using thorns and brushes and things to make it really strong. And then they cover it with leaves and fur and feathers, make it really comfortable in there. Well, then the little eaglets are born. And about, yeah, about... A couple of weeks after the little eaglets are born, mom and dad start removing all the things in that nest that make it comfortable. And then they start flying by just kind of close proximity with those tasty morsels of food, but just out of reach. And the little eaglets are thinking, you know, what's up with this? They don't like me anymore. I'm in pain. I'm in hungry here. And they look over the edge of the nest, fully confident they're going to fall to the rocks below and <laughs> die. But at some point, they say, I've got to do something the pain is too great. I've got to do something. And so they go over the edge of the nest. Well, we know what happens. They discover wings. They discover they can fly that they would have never tested had they not been uncomfortable enough to make a move. So I think a lot of times God allows us to be in situations not to make us, keep us in pain and hungry, but to prompt us mm. to take action, to move to a better place than we've ever experienced. And I hear that a lot, as I'm sure you do. You know, oh, I got fired. Worst thing that ever happened to me. You know, we've got to give the car back in, not go on vacation, (laughs) give up the golf club membership, and then 18 months later they're saying, oh, my goodness, that's the best thing that ever happened to me.
0: Did you ever hear that, um, watch that Stephen Jobs commencement uh, speech that he he gave, that 12-minute commencement speech, and he said the best thing that ever happened to him was he got fired from the company that he founded, Apple. Uh, What a great lesson that was. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I know that uh, you tell a lot uh, in your podcast, you tell some stories. I wanted to ask if you could give a success story just so we can get real practical. An illustration of somebody who moved from one leadership team where just things weren't working and and they were withering away and they found a new fulfilling position. You got something like that? Oh,
1: my goodness. I've got hundreds of those.
0: Yeah, I just need one. (laughs) Worked with
1: a gentleman. He was 46 seven at the time that he came to see me. Very successful dentist. Now I have to, you know, put successful in quotes because everybody saw him as such. But, you know, making a significant income, had a full team working for him and he was so discouraged. Now, Christian man, strong in his faith, but he was so discouraged that he really was contemplating suicide. And It was like, how can I be so miserable doing this? Well, and unpacking that, kind of unpeeling the onion, it became clear he was living somebody else's dream, not his own at all, In his case happened to be his parents' dream. He was an only child. They were blue-collar workers. They decided he was going to have all the advantages they didn't, and they forced those advantages down his throat, and he was a very successful dentist and hated the life that he had created. So we changed that dramatically, and I were able to sell his practice very quickly. He went back to school, got his master's degree in family counseling, which is what he does today. Totally transformed his life by putting him in another position still a position of leadership, but something that fit how he was wired rather than forcing him to be something that
0: he was not day after day. Great story. You bring out a great point about how many people try to fulfill other people's expectations. You know, it could be, in that case, it was the parents. And how many times have I run into a man or a woman who who said, you know, my, my father, you know, wanted me to take over the family business and I tried, I hated it. Well, that's what happened to Cliff Ravenscroft. You know, he, he, his father <laughs> wanted him to take over the Cliff, uh, the insurance business, and he tried, okay. and he was miserable. And I love the fact that his dad um, said, okay, great. I mean, he embraced his decision to leave and do something else. A lot of times that doesn't happen. And you're, isn't it true your family can rain on your parade more than anybody?
1: Oh, you know, I had a question just recently in an interview. You know, what? how does my family view... My success, and you know, I said it it really breaks my heart because I I have family because of my theological history who believe that if you make extraordinary income, you've probably taken advantage of people along the way. That, (laughs) That money is a fixed quantity, so if I have some, somebody else has less. Yes, and I also have family members who really don't understand having come out of a background where they did real physical things like farming, construction, carpentry, and so on. They really don't understand how I could get paid for just thinking and talking and writing. That seems kind of artificial to them. So there's, there's a more disconnect with some of my family and extended family than certainly the people that I live and breathe with and live life with today. And I'm sad about that, but I can't go back. Sometimes those are the toughest relationships to change.
0: Yes. We, you and I are living in the new economy. And uh, a lot of people, the older generation, the builder generations, their paradigm of a job, you know, when are you going to go get a real job? (laughs) And whenever you hear that, you know what they're talking about, a traditional job. But actually, the whole economy in America, there's no longer any uh, guarantee of a job or, you know, people get laid off all the time. Companies are outsourcing. So actually, the new economy is the future, Right.
1: That's right. It really is. I mean, there's always going to be a place. I don't want us to ever diminish the value of doing physical work, but um, we have to recognize that there are changing opportunities along with that.
0: Yeah, that's. I was listening to a guy the other day that has made millions in the direct sales industry, and but his mother's still saying, you know, when are you going to get a real job? Oh <laughs> uh, yes. I love it. I love it. Okay, uh, let's talk a minute about failure, uh, because failure is often the back door to success. I remember years ago, Erwin Lutzer wrote a book to that title, Failure is the Back Door to Success, and we talked about Stephen Jobs. Uh, He created the next computer company, which ended up uh, being the door back into Apple, but failure is often you know, disguise. What advice do you give leaders that have failed and they're trying to bounce back? And let me just couch that by saying, you know, we know statistically a lot of pastors bail out of ministry and a lot of people in ministry give up and they go do other stuff. Leaders don't finish well. So I've been asked, you know, what advice do you give leaders, you know, that have blown it? They have failed. They're trying to Bounce back.
1: Well, as we see so often in people like Steve Jobs and certainly lots of others in the business world, it's hard to see someone who has achieved extraordinary success without having gone through what we'd also call failure in their business path. So we have to change how we view failure. I think it really is a necessary component to get to ultimate success. We have to look at what are we gonna learn? I think we could change the name of that really. But here's something that I've seen in recent years that it really has me scratching my head in some ways, Hans. And that is, I always assumed that if somebody had been at the top of the game in business, that if they hit an obstacle, So they had a failure experience that they would very quickly come back to success because they knew the principles. And yet I've seen people again and again and again who hit that obstacle, hit bottom, and stayed there. And those are the ones that it just was difficult for me to get my head around. John Maxwell wrote a book a few years ago called uh, Talent is Never Enough. And so he kind of addressed a little bit of this, but here's what I've observed, and I want to be really gentle in how I lay this out. But when I see somebody who has failed professionally and they stay at the bottom, what I start looking for is not what are the business principles to get them back on topic, but what are the foundational pillars that are missing? And I've really identified five. These are things that I want to really pay attention to in my own life. These are things I want to be putting deposits of success in every day. And if I do that, success shows up professionally and financially in pretty interesting and even unexpected ways. But the, here are the five. Okay. Number one, loving relationships. Number two, uncompromising integrity. Number three, clear purpose. Number four, vibrant health, and number five, optimistic faith. When I see somebody who has failed and stays down, I start looking for what is it that's missing in that list of five, and inevitably we can identify one or maybe more of those. And it breaks my heart, but that's where we have to put the, the focus, not just on what's the next business plan, no, how can we address these foundational pillars that are broken?
0: Excellent. Great stuff. Um, how do you approach doubt? This will be my last question. Uh, doubt. Uh, you know, Jared Easley's got a whole podcast now called Starve the Doubts. But how do we, uh, how, how do? you encourage people to not listen to the negative voices? And Because I find doubt about the new direction you're trying to go to, the new job, the new career you're trying to embrace, Doubt is often your biggest enemy. I've really struggled with that myself. You got any tips on overcoming doubt?
1: Well, I'm I'm a big believer in taking action. I mean I I'm one of these guys who really is, you know, ready, fire, aim.
0: Mm-hmm. I understand. <laughs> so
1: so I, I don't give doubt time to fester
0: and grow.
1: Because doubt really is, you know, anticipating a negative result before it really even appears. You know, sometimes I tell myself, you know, let's let, let's wait to worry. Let, let's not do that now. Let's let's wait on that because the reality doesn't support it. It's just something in my mind. So, I mean, W. Clement Stone, you know, wonderful old insurance sales guy, and then ultimately founder of Success Magazine, used to say, "Do what you fear, and fear disappears." Now, I don't want to give any just, uh, you know. A savvy little cliche to something that really is a real issue, but I, I work my way through doubt by taking action. I would rather act and prove myself to be wrong than to just wonder about it and never do anything.
0: totally agree with you. The same about fear. Fear and doubt could be the same word, but I always say the way to overcome fear is action. You know, once you just get busy, the fears will go away and all of a sudden great stuff will start happening.
1: That's right. Any
0: any last word you want to – I've been talking here today with Dan Miller, who is the founder and president of 48 Days. His website is 48days.com. I'm just looking at your site and seeing all kinds of cool stuff on there, plus a picture of you and your lovely wife. Um, What what else would you like to say in parting to, to my listeners?
1: Well, it's never too late to get in the game. You know, and when, when people, especially people of faith who are, are sometimes overly concerned about criticism and people not fully supporting what they're going to do, I mean, the safest thing to do to not get criticism is don't do anything. But That, <laughs> that doesn't define an extraordinary life at all. No. So be prepared to handle criticism from people who are not yet on the same path that you are, but just get in the game. Take action.
0: Excellent, excellent. Like I've often observed, nobody's ever built a statue or a monument to a critic. So get out there in the game. I assume people can connect with you and find your stuff on 48days.com. So thanks so much, Dan, for being on the show today. I appreciate it.
1: Hey, my pleasure. My privilege is to spend the time with you, Hans.
0: All right, thanks. This has been Hans Finzel. Thank you for listening to the Leadership Answer Man. Remember that leaders make great things happen. We can always take our leadership to the next level. I hope you keep listening and learning and that you go out there this week and make a difference with your leadership.